0: Well, good morning. A little bit more life than that. I need a little bit of energy here. Good morning. I love that. Thank you. Thank you. But well, my name is, is Matt Sawada. I have the privilege of being one of the pastors here at LFC. And once again, it is an honor to open God's word with you today. So thank you for joining us in worship this morning. Would you please pray with me before we jump in to this time and this text? Well, Heavenly Father, thank you. You truly are the King of Kings, and it is, it's our privilege to be able to praise the Father, to praise the Son, and to praise the Spirit. It's truly a gift to be able to, to praise the God who is three in one, who's modeled perfect relationship for us. So Father, please, I just ask that as we talk through relationships today, that your spirit would comfort those who need comfort. That your spirit, through this time and through this, uh, this, this text, that your spirit would challenge and maybe even convict those who need to be challenged and convicted. Father, may your, your spirit encourage those who need to be encouraged today. So, Father, we commit these few moments and these words to you, and we we need you to to work and move. Lord, we love you, and we thank you. Again, I thank you for this opportunity. Father, we pray this in your son's beautiful and precious name, amen. 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 Well, this morning, we are going to be in the book of Philemon. When was the last time you read the book of Philemon, right? Uh, I've got some friends, these ushers coming forward. If you need a Bible, just raise your hand. They'd love to to hook you up with a Bible this morning. Uh, Philemon is in the back of your scriptures. It's in the back of your texts. And uh, it goes Philemon, Hebrews, James, first and second Peter. So I mean, you're looking at like the back 20th of this text. So it'll be a minute before we jump in there, but that's where, we'll, that's where we'll land in just a few minutes today. Have you ever considered actually how many relationships you have? Have you ever thought of that? Have you ever thought of the web of relationships that surround you? Now, if you're younger in this room, you might say, yeah, Matt, that's pretty easy. I'll just check out Facebook, Instagram, whatever social media platform. I can tell you exactly how many friends I have. I'll give me a number. Maybe if you're a little older, you're sitting here thinking, how in the world would Instagram or Facebook actually tell me who's my friend? But let me, let me help you just play this web of relationships out for a minute. Think about your family. There are some of you at LEFC who are related to like 200 LEFCers. Right, your web is like super concentrated right around the LEFC. But think of, your, think of your family. It might be your spouse. It might be your, your siblings, your brothers and sisters. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your, your parents, grandparents. Maybe you think about aunts and uncles, nieces and nephews. Maybe you think about your in-laws. No elbows. (laughs) What if you take that web to the next layer and you think about the people who live next to you, your neighbors, kind of the the eight houses that surround yours, or apartment complex who shares a wall with you. Maybe you think about the, the teammates classmates. Maybe you think about your co-workers. Those of you on staff at LAFC, you got a, we need a lot of grace, don't we? Maybe you think about the, the people you serve within your profession every day as an insurance agent or as a painter. Maybe you think uh, about this next layer of relationships, right? We've got our family, we've got the people around us, kind of our oikos, our sphere of influence. I don't think we can leave out our church. I'll tell you, a lot of you are sitting in the exact same place you sat when I preached last. (laughs) It's fascinating, creatures of habit. (laughs) These four have been there for years. You know, and so it's, you got people that you sit with and see every week. There's people that you know, like, oh, I, hope, I hope the Wests are good. They always sit in their seat. Or maybe it's a, yeah, you're right. <laughs> they're there, they're there. Maybe it's the people in your adult Bible fellowship, in your ABF. Maybe it's the people in your life group that you see on a, a weekly or more often than not, hopefully sometimes even connect with daily. Maybe it's the people you, you teach two-year-olds with. Maybe it's actually two-year-olds because that's your classroom. Or fourth graders, treasures in heaven. You see, you have a relational web. Your oikos, your sphere of influence, your neighbors, your family, those of the, the people you interact here with at LEC. Well, have you ever considered that this web of relationships that we've kind of just roughly painted the picture of, have you ever considered that it's completely unique? Jeff's network is different than Daryl's. It's completely different. might have some overlap. Sue's network is different than Frank's. Completely different. And you've got this this web of relationships that's unique, and you want to know why it's unique? Because God's created you unique. I just called you odd. (laughs) We're all odd. (laughs) And because of our uniqueness, our relationships are all unique, they're individual. I think that's really cool. There's a beautiful reality in this. And it's, it's the fact that we're created this way. That we are created as relational beings. Genesis 1 tells us that we were created in God's image. And like him who models relationship within himself perfectly, we actually need other relationships to image him. Right? We need the web because we can't reflect who God is alone. We just can't do that. He can't. He could, he's God. He doesn't, but we we just can't. And so this web of relationships is essential. But part of the reality is, is that while we're created relational beings, while that's a truth for every single one of us, We're actually unlike him in the sense that our God has perfect relationship within himself. Not a single relationship in our web is perfect. Not a single one. So while every one of our webs is unique, every one of our webs and every relationship in those webs is broken. So in the first four minutes I've succeeded in telling you that you're odd and broken. You love that? (laughs) Be encouraged this morning. I want you to think back through this web, this unique broken web of yours. And I want you to think of a a relationship, a strand of that web that that might currently be a little tense. Just one, I don't have to come up with 50, some of you could. Is there a relationship that's a little tense right now? Can you think of a strand in that relational web that's really easy? That's just good right now. Can you think of a, a relationship that that maybe is completely deteriorated? There used to be connection, and now there's not. You know, as you thought through some of these examples, some of you may have thought of a sibling. That sibling that from day one just had it out for you lying, anger, hatred. That, that, that relationship was just never good. Some of you, uh, maybe you thought of a neighbor or a coworker. And every time you interact with that neighbor, Uh, They're reminding you that your grass is a little too long. You didn't blow the remains of the grass off the sidewalk. Your leaves are actually over into their yard. Or the shutters on your house need to be painted. Maybe it's about a tree that's placed in the wrong place. You know, you, you think through that sibling or that neighbor or coworker. Maybe it's a former boyfriend or girlfriend. And that relationship just didn't end well. Maybe in some cases in this room, you thought of a former spouse. Some of you might have thought of someone in this church body. In some cases, you might actually be sitting next to them. Actually, for honest, some of you might have thought of me. Some of you, there might be a relational issue with me. I'm just as human as the next person. The reality of broken relationships hits home because this is something that every one of us deals with on a daily basis. I would imagine it didn't take you long to identify the relational broken tension within your lives. This isn't a stretch here. While we can see it easily in your lives, we can see it pretty easily in scripture. Let's just start in Genesis. You got Cain and Abel. You get Noah and his sons. They disgraced him. Fast forward a little bit, you get uh, Jacob and Esau. Seemed like they always had it out for each other. They were just different. And yet they just fought over birthrights and and all the things. Fast forward a little bit more, you got Joseph and his brothers. They threw him in a pit and sold him as a slave. Talk about relationally broken. They needed some conflict management tools. Fast forward a little bit more and let's just look at the man after God's own heart, David. David. You got David and Saul, relational brokenness. Yeah, I got spears flying at me. Comparison and hatred existed in that relationship. Let's look at David and Uriah. He's one of his mighty men. He was one of his boys. And he had him killed because he loved the God's wife? We have example upon example of relational brokenness in this text and I don't know about you that encourages me (laughs) I'm actually encouraged that these pillars in the Old Testament weren't perfect because I'm not either I'm encouraged that that God has created us to be relationally whole while he's done that he understands that because of sin we will all struggle with relational brokenness. But God doesn't want us to stay there. God doesn't want us to live in that and just be okay with the brokenness. God desires restoration and wants us to experience this wholeness once again. And thankfully, church, through Christ, that's possible. It's completely possible. If that last statement, the fact that he desires restoration and wants us to experience wholeness once again and that this wholeness is possible through Christ, for some of you, that statement uh, might have touched a nerve. If that quickened your pulse, your heart skipped a beat, and it got your attention, uh, please stick with me and hear me out. Would you turn with me this morning to the book of Philemon? Again, it's in the back of your Bibles. Um, Keep flipping. If you get to Hebrews, you've gone too far. And so it sees it's Philemon, Hebrews, James, Peter's, and goes on from there. In the book of Philemon, we have the Apostle Paul basically painting a picture of a really intriguing web of relationships. It's actually pretty fascinating as Paul kind of scripts this for us. And so what we're going to see is we're going to see three relationships. It's like this triangle. And the first relationship that we see is Paul and Philemon. Uh, Join me. This is in verse verse 1 here. God's word says, Verse 1 of Philemon. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker. Our dear friend and fellow worker. I'm going to hit a pause button there. See, Philemon was, we think, a wealthier individual. Uh, he had, had a large household. He had slaves. And we believe that he came to the Lord in Ephesus through Paul's ministry. So Paul ministers to this guy Philemon, who once was lost but now is found, was blind, and now he sees, right? He's now a son of Paul's spiritual son. So significant life change happens in Paul's ministry to this guy Philemon, And Paul continues to talk about how encouraged he is and he prays for the partnership that it may be effective in deepening your understanding of every good thing. He goes on to really encourage Philemon in these next couple verses. And then in verse eight, we begin to see the second pillar of this relational web. Verses eight, nine, and 10. Paul says, therefore, although in Christ I, Paul, could be bold in order you, Philemon, to do what you, Philemon, ought to do. Yet I, Paul, prefer to appeal to you on the basis of love. It is as none other than Paul, an old man who now also is a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Verse 10, here's the clincher. That I appeal to you, Philemon, for my son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in chains. Okay. So now we see the second prong of this web. We see Philemon coming unto the Lord through Paul's ministry, and now we see Onesimus coming in to know the Lord through Paul's ministry. Right? You see some parallels here. He's considering both of them his sons. I appeal to you for my son Onesimus who became my son while I was in chains. That's cool. I will tell you, total side note, Lehman. if you want to do a little Bible study on this, print it off and figure out who he's talking about with every pronoun. All right? It's a really fascinating pronoun journey. So check that out, total side note. We can get back on track in verse 11. But what you'll see here is that he begins to, to paint this picture of the third piece of this relational web. He said, formerly... He, Onesimus, was useless to you, Philemon. But now, he, Onesimus, has become useful both to you and to me. Oh, wait a sec. Useless and useful. This certainly sounds like there was some relationship between Philemon and Onesimus. If you're thinking that, you're right. You see, Onesimus was a former slave in the household of Philemon. We think that he actually robbed Philemon and he runs away, ends up in Rome and connects with Paul, comes to know the Lord. He once was useless to Philemon but is now useful because of his faith in Jesus Christ. And so you see this relational web spun here. Can you think back to those tense relationships that you thought of a minute ago? Would you have considered that person useless? Some of you probably believe say yes. Would you consider that, that person hard or broken? Well, Paul is encouraging us to not write. He's encouraging Philemon to not write Onesimus off. And in doing so, I think he's encouraging you to not write that person off. Who once was useless is now useful. Well, he goes on in verses 15 and 16. He continues to, to play out this saga a little bit. Perhaps the reason he, Anissimus, was separated from you, Philemon, for a little while was that you, Philemon, might have him, Onesimus, back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, Paul. But even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. You catch some of those words. My guess is the person Philemon hated. Paul is telling him, hey, he's now useful. And guess what, Philemon? You get to be with him forever. Forever. Like this is gonna be an eternal relationship because you guys both know the same Jesus. And he was very dear to me, Paul. He's gonna be even dearer to you. So neither one of these guys, would, my assumption, would be excited about a, a restoration of a relationship. I would imagine they're both walking in and a little uh, hesitant to reconnect And some scholars think that Onesimus actually carried this letter back to Philemon. Can you imagine him knocking on the door with a letter from Paul? He's not just a dear brother, he's now a mailman. Delivering a pretty personal letter. And as he knocks on that door, Paul's telling Philemon, if you consider me a partner, welcome him, Onesimus, as you would welcome me. If he has done you any wrong, verse 18, or owes you anything, one version says, charge it to my account. (laughs) Whoa. Charge it to my account. Welcome him as you would welcome me. Charge it to my account. Basically, Philemon says, is being encouraged to look past the sin that he's linked to to Onesimus and see him for who he actually is. Paul is saying, Philemon, I don't want you to see him as a, a thief, a lazy slave, and as a bum, but I want you to see him as a brother who you will have an eternal, forever relationship. I want you to see him as very dear to me and to you in the Lord. And the way he can encourage that is because Jesus does that with us. Ephesians 4.32, forgive as Christ has forgiven you. That phrase, charge it to my account, church, you can charge the relational brokenness to Christ's account. Paul Tripp tells us that you don't have to worry. God's grace will never, ever wear out his account is never going to be withdrawn. There's so much grace there, you can't tap that. And all that to say, forgiveness doesn't always equate to trust. Restoration requires wisdom. And some of you are sitting there thinking, Matt, if you only knew the chaos I'm living in or have lived in, I would say forgiveness and restoration doesn't mean things go back to normal, and it certainly doesn't mean you should be a doormat. Your tense relationships, in some cases, have included abuse and significant pain. You don't have to re enter a new normal. But forgiveness and restoration can look very different than reconciliation actually does, and they're all part of a process. Well, I'd like to ask some friends to join me this morning, Mr. Carl and Mrs. Sue Wilson. Um, would you guys just welcome them up? Come on, yep, yep, yep. Carl and Sue, we are excited. We are blessed to have you guys join us up here. Uh, I know you guys just clapped for them, but would you just let's just give them an LFC welcome? Can you say, "Hi, Wilsons"? Excellent. Don't you feel like loved and cared for when that (laughs) happens? This is good. I don't say hi, Matt. (laughs) I just say hi to the Wilsons. You know, um, one of the profound things that Carl and Sue mentioned me to me as we kind of worked through their story a little bit a a couple uh, days ago. um, They said, you know, you had to really—they've really had to experience the valleys before they could celebrate the mountaintops. And I thought that was a really profound statement. So much of life is lived in between the two. And so we get to just get included in your valleys and we get to be included in the mountaintops this morning, Wilson. So thank you for your vulnerability and your willingness to share with us this morning. So just so our audience, our friends here can get to know you a bit better, will you just paint a picture, give us a quick snapshot of where you grew up Uh, what it was like this is before you two met
1: yeah I I grew up in Lidditz um, with loving parents and three siblings Um, and then uh, I just as far back as I can remember I just enjoyed hunting fishing playing baseball growing up
0: excellent
2: excellent and, excuse me, I grew up in Ellicott City, Maryland, in a non-Christian home with five siblings. My parents divorced when I was nine. I got pregnant, wasn't married, and had my daughter Michelle when I was 21.
0: So some of you are longtime liters, right? You grew up here, and you can relate to playing baseball, hunting and fishing. You grew up in the, the beautiful Lancaster County uh, area, uh, I like Sue. I grew up in urban Maryland, just like you, it's a little different than Lidditz. <laughs> just a little a little bit more traffic down there. But uh, uh, so I get it. Um, you two grew up differently. Um, you met through family. You guys got connected and married in 1995. Right? What was life like? Tell us a little bit, Carl, about what, what was marriage like right off the bat?
1: Um, yeah, marriage, marriage was good. Um, uh, we had a daughter, um, like a year into our marriage, Karen in 1996.
0: That's a game changer.
1: Yeah. Yep. Um, but we were not believers and our behavior followed suit. There were addictions, selfishness, and we were living for ourselves.
0: That's you also just described many of us in the room. Right? We all struggle with some sort of addiction, some sort of selfish pursuit. And what we all know is that living for ourselves produces a little bit of pain. It's typically not a good outcome in that. So you moved to PA a couple years later. Uh, totally understandable that it's is a, a way better place to raise a family. Um, so Carl, tell us, what was it like moving back?
1: Absolutely, Matt. We were, we were coming home. For me, it was coming home, and this is where I grew up. Um, But God moved moved us right into the Oikos oikos of Jeff and Kelly Batzer. And Jeff was a former pastor here at LEFC. He ultimately connected us to the church and ultimately connected us to Christ. And I came to be be a believer in 2000.
0: Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Praise the Lord. Uh, so God brought you back not just to get you out of traffic, I think he brought you back to get you into his family. Uh, all that to say, connection with the church, connection with Christ, Carl, that doesn't make things easier often. We still have this thing called self inside of us. Sue, what, uh, what did things look like after that?
2: Well, Matt, we had our good moments, but the next several years were difficult, um, Alcohol addiction, thankfully, led me uh, to a decision that I needed to go into rehab, to a rehab facility in 2004. It was during that time where I gave my life to Christ. Afterwards, we plugged into a life group, uh, which helped me stay sober until 2011, when I relapsed for a very short period of time uh, after losing my oldest sister. Um, until things, once again, were going, weren't going were going well with us, our relationship was just difficult, um, led to a six month separation during which I was unfortunately unfaithful.
1: Neither one of us were perfect, Matt. Um, We were both in counseling throughout this time and our life group played a key part of our restoration.
0: First of all, thank you for sharing the valley. (laughs) Given us a, a painting, a picture of, of where you were at this time. Uh, I love that you connected into community, right? You sought counsel. You sought people to, to walk alongside you. Many of them are here today still. Mm-hmm. Um, so after that period of separation, uh, you two were back together for a couple years, right? Let's kind of fast forward to 2015. What, what the next couple years, what, what happened in 2015? How did that play out?
2: Well, I was, again, unfaithful. Carl understandably wanted a divorce. Uh, I was so scared this was going to be the end of our marriage. Uh, it wasn't until this one God moment, Carl unexpectedly came to my apartment to see the dogs. It's I'll never forget dogs. that day.
0: Yeah, it's about the dogs.
2: Carl walked in with such a hard heart, and a few minutes later, his heart melted. God in his spirit moved and changed Carl. There is no other explanation. I saw the hardness melt away.
0: Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Uh, that's, uh, I get goosebumps every time you've told me that. <laughs> and I, uh, you two have had quite a journey. Quite a journey. You know, one of the, the phrases they keep saying is, uh, we were just broken together. We were broken together, and as Carl mentioned to me a couple days ago, he said, "Matt, our story has not been a Hallmark journey. (laughs) It has not been a Hallmark story. And unfortunately, uh, though, even though your heart melted in that moment towards Sue, the Spirit works powerfully in things like this. Mm -hmm. Things still weren't smooth sailing, right? Right.
1: Yeah, even with my." Heart softening, it was still a long, hard journey. Took time to rebuild trust. I spent so much time analyzing every word and action, which is an earthly consequence to sinful actions. I realized throughout this process, though, that I had just as much sin, just as much skin in the game as she did. We were broken together. I think that realization was key in rebuilding what we had into something even better than before.
0: I hope you guys heard some of that wisdom. Is that it took time. Is that even though my heart melted and the spirit moved, uh, trust wasn't instantaneous. Took time to rebuild that trust. And uh, things didn't return to an old normal. Praise the Lord, they didn't return to an old normal. They, they moved into a new normal. And that process took time. That process took people. That process took prayer. That process took new patterns and new habits. And it was by his grace that you're here sharing today. Amen. So restoration takes time. So if you're realizing every single person in this room is in a various... Various stages of broken relationships. All of it, we're all there, as I just preached. Um, what would be some last words? What would you encourage her with this morning?
2: I would just say um, to be broken together, pray together, and include the community in the mess. It's okay to not be okay.
1: Matt, as you just said, reconciliation takes patience and time. I wish I would have waited on the Lord better than I did. I also wish I would have pursued a relationship with God. I knew Jesus, but I wasn't abiding in him. And work on your vertical relationship. That is ultimately how our horizontal human relationships was restored. Basically learn to charge Their wrongdoings to his account.
0: Carl, I think that'll preach. (laughs) I think that'll preach. So I heard you heard, I hope you heard some of that. Be broken together. Pray with and for one another. It's the spirit moving that actually restores and reconciles. I hope you heard her, Sue. I love it. It's okay to not be okay. Uh, None of us are perfect. So don't pretend to be. Carl, I wish I would have waited on the Lord rather than tried to to take things into my own hands. Reconciliation, restoration takes time. And lastly, it's a vertical relationship. Charge it to his account. Charge it to his account. Well, thank you, Carl, thank you, Sue. It's not easy being this vulnerable. Uh, let's give them a, a big thank you. Thank you, thank you. Thanks, Carl. Appreciate it. Thank you, Sue. Yeah. You know, God absolutely desires restoration and wants us to experience relational wholeness. He wants us to, to come out through some of the brokenness on the other side. And Wilsons, thank you for including us in the valleys as well as the mountaintops. I hope you realize there's a lot of life lived in between those moments. And it's a, it is a process. You know, restoration essentially is an expression of the gospel. That's what Jesus has done in our lives And uh, there was an author, he wrote, he said, Christ can take what is irreparable and make it whole. Christ can take what is irreparable and make it whole. We cannot discount the work of the Holy Spirit. He's worked in the Wilsons and their lives in massive ways. And he's allowed them to experience peace and joy in the midst of a pretty turbulent relationship. His work, the Holy Spirit, is just dynamic within hearts and lives. Secondly, uh, restoration is both difficult and beautiful. Restoration is beautiful and difficult. Let me paint that out really quickly here. It's difficult because of the hurt, it's painful, it's costly. Restoration comes at a cost. It's almost like you have your heart on the table and it it just keeps getting poked and stepped on and prodded. And continued hurt over time is really hard to look and move past. There's a cost to it. Christ experienced this pain and this cost on the cross so that we can experience restoration with his dad, with the father. But restoration is also beautiful. While there's a cost to it, there's beauty in it because of the refreshing nature of it. When restoration happens, man, there's a freedom. There's a weight lifted. And Robin, my wife and I, when there's tension between us, I can feel it. And once forgiveness is extended and worked through and restoration has happened, a, a tangible weight has just been lifted. I, I know there are families in this congregation where there are divorced couples who celebrate holidays together. Beautiful restoration. I know there are families in this body that have had estranged siblings. I haven't talked to them in years, who are now sitting at a dinner table together and just starting a conversation again. You know, restoration is not only an expression of the gospel, but it's beautiful and difficult. It is not clean and neat because life, life in a broken web of relationships is anything but tidy. The goal isn't tidy. The goal is Restoration. The goal is his glory. For many, this might have been a really painful sermon to listen to. I can't begin to understand the pain that you've experienced. And I apologize for that. But I'm confident in knowing that it wasn't what God had intended for your relationships. That's not what he he's intended. Please know that you're loved today and you're prayed for often. I would encourage all of us to step into relationships understanding who you are and who they are and create appropriate expectations for that. You know, what makes a relationship work is not the absence of sin, it's the abundance of grace. And so, as we heard with the Wilsons and as even you see in Philemon, uh, allow others to join you in the journey of relational reconciliation and restoration. I'm throwing pens. Allow others into the mess. Move towards that mess, church. If you're included, consider it a privilege and step in when you have that opportunity, listen. Ask good questions. Don't try to fix it. Just love them by being present. Let's push past this "act" standard that Tyler Morris preached about a few weeks ago. And Sue just eloquently said, it's okay to not be okay. Not a single one of us is perfect, so let's stop trying to pretend like it. And lastly, let's pursue Christ together. There is a hope that is only found in Jesus Christ. Let's be a church community that makes him look big in the way we do relationships. Let's charge much to his account. Would you please pray with me? Father, we're, again, grateful. We are humbled by the fact that you love us despite of us. Father, I know I've needed to charge much to your account. I'm so thankful for Jesus. Lord, we love you. And we're so thankful for the deep love that you've extended to us.
3: Church, let's stand and sing together. The scripture tells us how deep the love of the Father, that he has lavished it upon us that we should become children of God. Today, we get to sing these words, why should we gain from his reward as we charge to his account? Let's meditate the love of the Father. turns his face away, has wounds which mar the chosen one, bring many sons to glory.
0: So how deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond all measure. Church, his wounds have paid your ransom. I want to talk about charging it to his account. Christ has already paid that. And so let's today look for ways to to do just that. In the, the odd, unique relationships that you live in. Look for ways to extend grace and forgiveness because he's done that for you. So take what he's extended, receive it, and then extend it to those around you. Tonight, we actually have our our May congregational meeting. It's a great evening to come out and just be a part of a family. Every single one of you are invited. It's not just for members, it's for all of us. And so there's a meal at five, there's a meeting at six. Uh, the meal, any, all the proceeds of that meal will go to, to send a, a team of our, our youth group, our students to, to South Africa this summer. So please consider joining us at, uh, at five or at six tonight. Secondly, as Carl and Sue just shared, connection into community was essential for them as I journeyed through the, the valleys and the peaks. We have a connect group happening uh, Wednesday night, this Wednesday at seven o'clock in the, the G56 room, right back to my left, your right. Not, I guess, encounter room. You'll go this way when you come on Wednesday. <laughs> and so it uh, come on out. We'd love to help you get connected into this body. Connection is pretty key to be a part of a family. After... I close here in just a second. The Wilsons, myself, we've got people in the encounter room who'd love to process and pray with you uh, and just just hear what some of your current reality actually is. So would you please, uh, if you have questions or would like to process, I'd encourage you to do just that. I'd like to close our time in worship together with a, a benediction from Hebrews 13. This is in verse 20, 21. It says, Now may the God of peace, who through the blood of the eternal covenant brought back from the dead, our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep, may this God of peace equip you with everything good for doing his will. And may he work in us what is pleasing to him through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. L.E.F. Sears, we love you. I hope you have a great day receiving that grace and extending it to those in need. Have a good Sunday.